1: You love them, you hate them, and you can't stop talking about them. Announcers, analysts, pundits, they're all fair game. It's Sports Media pm with Alex Reamer. Time to let it rip.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Sports Media podcast. My name, of course, is Alex Rumer, and it's great to be with you here today as it is each and every week or whenever we decide to have an episode. You can find the show, you know this by now, wherever you can find your favorite podcasts. We are available on Spotify, Apple, Google. You know the drill. Download, listen, rate, subscribe. It all helps with our visibility in your favorite podcast app stores. Uh, have a great show coming up for you today. Uh, we have Kyle Coster of The Big Lead coming up in a few moments. Kyle is the editor-in-chief of The Big Lead, one of the Internet's original uh, sports-slash-culture blogs, for lack of a better term. I know I sound like I'm probably 65 years old when I say that, but uh, The Big Lead has been a blog that I've read for many years. Uh, so great to have Kyle Coster, editor-in-chief of The Big Lead, on the show today. And one of the reasons why I had Kyle on is he wrote a great piece last week in the midst of all the Tuo Tungo-Vailoa uh, discussion titled how dare we look away from the two Oh Tungo Vailoa replays. And I think Kyle really hits a nail on the head with his piece in which he says last week, of course, a lot of discussion about Tua starting that game against the Bengals on Thursday night football, and then getting rocked, taking a huge hit head slams against the turf removed with a concussion. Uh, it looked like he suffered a concussion the previous week against Buffalo Uh, He had gross motor instability, couldn't stand up, fell down, uh, but yet was sent back into that game after missing just three offensive plays. You know the story. So when all that happened last Thursday night, there's a lot of criticism rightfully levied towards the Dolphins, rightfully levied towards the NFL, and also levied towards Amazon. For A, not covering the context around the Tua injury until the postgame show. At halftime, none of the analysts mentioned the broader conversation about whether Tua should have even played Thursday night in the first place. And Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet certainly didn't do that on the broadcast either. And Amazon also got pilloried on social media for continually showing the replay of Tua's hit and his head slamming against the turf and then him getting carried out uh, in a stretcher and his fingers, he did his fingers were contorting in that really scary way that we've learned since is a telltale sign for head injuries. So Amazon showed us the gruesome hit, the arguably even more gruesome aftermath several times, and they were excoriated on Twitter and social media for doing that. But Kyle's point, and it's the right one if you want to think deeper about this, is that all the fans who were blaming Amazon for its coverage or blaming Amazon for showing the replay time and time again were really just projecting because what did that a replay show? It showed the game of football in its most violent form. And we want to be in denial about what we're watching. We don't want to know how the sausage gets made, to use the term. And Amazon was throwing it right in our faces, right then and there, that Thursday night. And it was very hard for many people to look at. And I think I mentioned this last week on the show. It's one of the reasons why I find the concussion conversation So circuitous, and at this point in the 2022 season, to be pretty pointless. And I know this sounds very cynical because it is cynical, but we've been having this conversation for years and years. You go all the way back to the concussion movie, which, by the way, bombed in theaters. You know, so we're going back almost 10 years ago now, and this stuff was really at a fever pitch uh, with all the concussion lawsuits. And, you know, we have changes to the system, we now have independent spotters who are up in the booth, who are supposed to stop the game when a player is suspected of suffering a head injury. But that didn't work Sunday night. Buccaneers tight end Cameron Brait suffered a concussion, but was allowed to play a whole quarter before he was removed from the game for a concussion. That got by the independent spotters. And we have independent neurologists on the sidelines now, but the independent neurologist working with the Dolphins was fired after the Tua incident. And by the way, the independent neurologist does not have final say as to who goes back into the game. That relies with the team physician, who A, works for the team, and B, is not always a neurologist. So we have those changes to the system. On paper, they look good, but they're far from foolproof because the fact of the matter is, if you don't want to find something, you typically won't find it. And that's where I think we are with the NFL and it's concussion protocol. Players want to get back into the game. Teams obviously want players to get back into the game. And if you have a whole cadre of people who are trying to not find the head injury, I don't care how many medical degrees they have, they won't find the head injury. And that's what we come back to with the NFL. I think the system here failed Tua. And as far as the fans are concerned, we're all hypocrites because we complain on Twitter about this and blame the dolphins for rushing Tua back and how gruesome and disgusting this is. And the NFL needs to treat its players better. But It doesn't impact our habits. We still love the NFL. We keep watching. Patriots Packers this past Sunday averaged a 12.7 rating on CBS, 24.65 million viewers for the four o'clock window. That was the largest audience for the four o'clock window in week four of the season since 2015. And this year, the week four window on CBS in the four o'clock hour was the most watched since the network resumed airing games. In 1998, so CBS breaks records and sets new marks, high marks, for NFL viewership this week. Just three days after, Tua Tungavailoa suffers a horrible head injury against the Bengals. It can barely, and you know, his fingers are contorting, all crazy. And we swatch watch that. And then we go watch Patriots Packers because it was a good game. It was overtime. Bailey Zappi took Aaron Rodgers into overtime. Come on, how can you not want to watch that? So that's where I am with a lot of this concussion stuff. It's really just circuitous at this point. I think fans need to look more inward if we want to advance the conversation. And Kyle Coster of the big lead uh, comes on the show to talk about that. I also talk with Kyle about Tom Brady. And this is relevant to the concussion story because, of course, as far back as at least 2017, Giselle Buncheon was talking publicly about her fear with head injuries. She said in that interview... Uh, was it with CBS? I think it might've been with CBS that Tom, she says suffers concussions pretty much every year. And that's a real worry for her. So we go back at least five years to Giselle speaking publicly about the dangers of football, her concerns with head injuries. And since then it's been believed it's been inferred. It's kind of been reported. Brady has kind of referenced it. In his multiple docu-series, Tom vs. Time, and then the latest one that came out last year, Man in the Arena, about the push and pulley feels between football and family. That's the interesting thing. We learned this week, of course, that Brady and Giselle reportedly have hired divorce attorneys. Sources close to their couple say the marriage is beyond repair at this point. They've been living apart the last couple of months, even last week when Hurricane Ian battered Florida's West Coast, Brady relocated to Miami, where Giselle also was hanging out, but... They stayed in separate homes as they rode out the storm there. Um, But as I was saying, Brady publicly has hinted at this for quite a while, this push and pull. And it was very apparent when he suddenly announced his 40-day retirement last winter and then came back 40 days later talking a lot about family and I need to be there more for my kids and divide up the work more. And then 40 days later, he goes back. We had Seth Wickersham on the show a few weeks ago, of course, one of the perennial Brady and Patriot insiders. And Seth said, and I think he was just speaking extemporaneously, but Seth said that Giselle and Brady's kids must've found it a little, or their kids, of course, they share two children, uh, must've found it weird or a little awkward that they were named as the reason for Brady's retirement last winter. And then 40 days later, Brady just changes his mind. And we've read Uh, subsequent reporting, mostly page six in the New York Post, about Brady and Giselle. That's been a real sticking point for them, and it hasn't recovered since then. Brady's 11-day absence at training camp in August was apparently to repair, try to repair these differences between him and Giselle. But basically, Giselle wants him to stop playing football, and Brady just won't. And that is the most interesting part of the story here to me. And it's relevant to Brady as a football player and Brady as a public person. So I feel comfortable talking about it here. Tom Brady has it all. He has a net worth of an estimated $250 million. He has a $375 million contract with Fox. (laughs) I mean, hello. Uh, That he can start anytime once his playing career ends to call games and serve as a brand ambassador. He has the Brady brand, the clothing line. He still has TB12. You forget about that, but that's still a passion of his. Uh, He has his own production company as well. Brady has so many post-career opportunities, post-career businesses to involve himself in. He has perfect family, great wife, more money than anybody could ever imagine. And yet... He wants to play football, and he wants to play against the Saints a couple weeks ago and get battered around. He wants to play against the Chiefs, and he suffered an injury on his throwing shoulder. And he also threw for 385 yards and three touchdowns on Sunday night. So Brady is not kidding. He's a maniac, and he loves football so much, so much, that he will throw away his marriage. I mean, that's pretty insane. And that, to me, is the most interesting part of the story, that Tom Brady, it seems like here, chose football over keeping his marriage together. And that's that's pretty incredible, no matter how you look at it. So that's the part of the story I find most interesting. I also find it interesting, as I said, that Brady's been hinting at this for years. And him and Giselle, really, I was thinking about this the other day. One of the last A-list couples that we have, you know, couples A-listers that who everybody knows. I mean, we still have J.Lo and Ben Affleck, uh, and then previously we had J.Lo and A-Rod. uh We have Prince Harry, or I guess now just regular Harry and Meghan Markle. uh You can throw John Legend and Chrissy Teigen in there as well. But outside of that, you know, we're Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears. We don't really have that anymore. Because to use a big fancy term, we don't really have a monoculture anymore. Everything is so niche. A million different YouTube celebrities, Twitch celebrities, TikTok celebrities. There's no more of that monoculture. And Brady and Giselle, really one of the last A-list couples that embody that. So that's another side story to their divorce or their reported divorce. Uh, is the end of a celebrity culture era. Last week, spent a lot of time talking about ESPN's weird coverage about the Eme Udoka story. And really, that's been a story that we've been primarily following on the show for the last couple of weeks. And I've written a lot about it as well at WeEi.com. Got to get my plug in there. I had a new piece come out this week. ESPN's latest story on Eme Udoka raises even more questions about its original reporting. And this is the new report that Adrian Wojnarowski published over the weekend about how Ime Yudoka reportedly made crude comments to this female underling, and that was a significant factor in his year long suspension. And if that sounds a lot different to Woj's original report about Ime Yudoka, if you think that sounds a lot different, I should say, to his original report, then you would be absolutely correct. Uh, let's remember back to how this all started. Adrian Wojnarowski originally referred to Yudoka's relationship with the female underling as, quote, intimate. In the latest piece, he refers to it as improper. Uh, We all know that the day after all this broke, Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted that Ime Yudoka was involved in a consensual romantic relationship with a female employee. In his latest piece, the word consensual does not appear, but the phrase is crude language and especially concerning are featured in the first two paragraphs. So two weeks later, when this first broke, we still don't know many facts about the story behind this shocking one-season suspension. But one thing is for certain. We can now say, Woj was covering for Yudoka when he first broke the news. You go back to the initial vague and bizarre report, complete with the, bree- the goofy breaking news graphic, the consensual tweet, In a follow-up piece filed September 21st so the Thursday after the Wednesday night, Woj described Yudoka's relationship with this woman as, quote, intimate. Uh, Again, intimate, a lot different than improper. Uh, Shams, Shams Karania, had the report that Yudoka was suspended for making unwanted comments towards the woman. But that update never made it into Woj's story, even going back to last week. And now, Yudoka's reporting infers that, Udoka was, and now Woj's reporting rather, infers that Udoka was predatory. This is the lead of his latest article published over the weekend. The independent law firm probe into Boston Celtics coach Ime Udoka found that he used crude language in his dialogue with a female subordinate prior to the start of an improper workplace relationship with the woman, an element that significantly factored into the severity of his one-year suspension. Woj writes, Woj's first article about Udoka doesn't mention any power imbalance at all. In it, Woj refers to the woman as, quote, a female member of the franchise's staff. And now that female member of the franchise's staff is now referred to as a female subordinate. Again, quite different. Um, so, of course, while it's common for reporters to add more detail about stories over time, especially something like this, Woj is really presenting two entirely different accounts. The first one, frames Yudoka, who's engaged to Nia Long and fathers two children with the actress, as unfaithful and maybe a little promiscuous. The second story that we're seeing now implies that Yudoka was making lewd and unwanted advances towards a female underling. Obviously, those are two very, very different situations. I still think there's more to this story, a lot more to this story. I mean, the phrase crude language, pretty opaque, just like unwanted advances. I mean, Matt Barnes says the truth is 100 times worse than anyone could imagine. So, you know, I think that's a little more than making unwelcome sexual comments towards a female subordinate, as reprehensible as that is. Um, So obviously, I think there's a lot of unsettled legal disputes being worked out. But even the drip, drip, drip that we've received so far, two weeks out, we've come a long way from consensual which is how Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN's lead NBA reporter, originally described this story. And that was his description of this relationship up until his latest filing over the weekend, which, as I mentioned, presents an entirely different account. Uh, We talked about it last week and the week before that. Woj and Udoka are both CAA clients. Woj has a long history of protecting other people affiliated with that agency. And it really seems like this is what he did here. The cleanup may be happening now, but the truth is people often remember the first version of events. They don't remember the correction. Who leaked this? Who leaked this to Woj last week or two weeks ago? Well, it seems more apparent than ever that it was Imei Yudoka, Imei's camp. Imei got out in front of this one with a good assist from the Woj man. All right. So enough of my babbling. Oh, before I get to Kyle Coster, Dennis Eckersley, Wednesday, his final game as an analyst on Nesson. So congratulations to Eck. And it's great to see somebody, Hall of Famer, uh, has more money than he could want. Uh, Go to California, spend time with his family. And my prediction is, we'll probably never hear from Eck again. And good for him. But you will hear from me on the other side, and you'll hear from Kyle Coster, editor-in-chief of The Big Lead. That conversation is coming up. On the other side, sports media mayhem. Thank you, as always, for listening. think Here we go and welcome back to the show very excited as i said in the open to have on kyle coster he is the editor-in-chief of the big lead you see it right there tbl what's going on kyle how are you
1: not much busy yeah. life busy life but uh always always got time to talk sports and media my two loves and they
0: throw a little pop culture in there three loves uh, go wrong? We, we we may do do just that it's like you know what questions are coming or something crazy um so you wrote a column, uh, actually I think while right after this has happened, after Tua left Thursday night football, uh, with that concussion. And I think, you know, you you wrote the piece, How Derry look look away from the Tua tunga Bailoa Biloa replays. Um, I think as I said to you earlier, you had a really smart take on it, but before we talk further, tell the listeners what uh what was your general takeaway from what happened Thursday and what the discourse has been in the ensuing days?
1: You know, I think it's really interesting because I think a few years ago, kind of a switch flipped in me where I was less interested in my own opinion, Mm -hmm. but more interested in how other people are experiencing things and arriving at their conclusions. Mm -hmm. Uh, It saved me a lot of time and energy from trying to convince people that I'm right about it. But (laughs) basically what happened, and you're right, I did write it in the moment. like As soon as it happened, I, like everybody else, was kind of horrified by it. And it's something that nobody wants to see. And the one way, the one lens that I have for understanding how other people are experiencing things is Twitter. And that's an extremely imperfect and terrible way, but it's really (laughs) the only real-time metric that we have to look at, okay, what's the communal experience here? And I noticed quickly that as he was still on the ground and Amazon was showing replay after replay, quickly the focus turned to telling Amazon not to show this replay, that people didn't want to see the replay, that it was gratuitous or gross. And I felt that that was identifying a very easy boogeyman in this situation and certainly Mm -hmm. not the main villain. And you have to understand that this injury happened four days after we saw Tua sustain a blow and go down and crumple like a sack of potatoes. And they said it was his back, but everybody at home is – Discussing, well, that sure looks like a head thing. So leading into the game, the discussion, which I think has been a bit retconned where people are saying, nobody was saying Tua shouldn't have played. That's actually not true. Everybody was kind of talking about, hey, it's weird that Tua is playing so quickly after sustaining this. Does that seem safe? So it was like the perfect storm of this event where you don't want it to happen, but then it felt so inevitable as he was laying there. And then for the folks to shift so quickly that, this would be Amazon's fault for showing the replay, which I think was really a rare, honest moment about what football is. Mm-hmm. And over and over hammering people and showing what's extraordinarily uncomfortable and so visceral as he lays on the ground. And the the, the hit itself was basically like he was ragdolled and, and just everything about it was awful. His finger curling. Oh, yeah. Gross mm-hmm. to watch. Yeah. To me, it just felt like the perfect moment of, no, this is the rare window into what we're actually addicted to. And I don't have any answers about what's right and wrong and my own involvement and all that stuff. But I just felt like if not this moment, then when? Because everything was engineered to have it laid in front of people so clearly and for them to so quickly shift to something else that seemed besides the point. Yeah didn't really sit well with me and yeah. it's, it's interesting when you write something in the moment you never know how it's going to age but that's how i felt at the moment and that's it's largely how i still feel today even as time has gone on and, and we know that the injury is not as serious as we feared and thank god
0: yeah uh, yeah but i mean i think it still is right on amazon was scapegoated and if you say amazon's not at fault then who is at fault kyle for what we saw happen thursday
1: football is This is what football is. And at some point, a lot of people have either not realized it or realized it and just decided to ignore it. And that's perfectly fine. If you don't want to deal with the complicated issues of what football is and what it does to the people that play it, I don't have, I'm not going to tell people how to live their lives. Like, this isn't a morality contest. It's not shaming them for doing it. But if you're curious about your experience and and how you contextualize this thing (laughs) What you're addicted to and what it does to the bodies of the people who play it. Yep. Then you owe yourself at least a moment to be like, Am I complicit in what form or fashion in this? So I think that we're all kind of complicit. And again, like I'll go back to that term, perfect storm. Tua wants to play, the dolphins want him to play, fans right. want him to play, everybody wants him out there. And then when what was the most logical and, and realistic outcome happens. The prayer emojis come out and it just seems so thank God. It seems so empty to me that emojis for an injury like that, but then also when someone tweaks their knee in the NBA finals. And I just kind of wanted to like challenge people to go a little bit deeper and ask themselves a question of, of where do we fit in what is this unstoppable machine at this point?
0: no, the prayer emoji is definitely performative grief. There's no doubt about that. Um, and, you know, I think the main issue with the NFL is concussion protocol. And there's been so much talk over the last week. The fact is it's human nature. You don't want, if you don't want to find something, you can generally find a way to not find it. And that's the independent neurologists, concussion spotters. We can have all these people on the sidelines, but the fact of the matter is You won't find something that you don't want to find. And that's why, Kyle, I feel like so much of this concussion discussion, going back to the movie almost 10 years ago when this stuff really reached, it seemed like a fever pitch while the lawsuit was going on. I'm kind of tired of it because we can all put up our prayer emojis on Twitter and bemoan the NFL and how evil this is. And Mike McDaniel, oh, what an outdated mentality he has. And all that is true. But the fact of the matter is, It didn't affect the ratings this Sunday. We'll all continue to watch. And I get, I understand we all can voice our displeasure about what's going on and would prefer players to not get put in with head injuries. But as you were saying, like that's football and we're really just talking in circles at this point. That's how I feel.
1: It does feel unproductive and maybe it's not unproductive, but maybe the better phrase is inevitable. Okay. Like, like what's going to happen? Like it's the NFL. It's unstoppable. Nothing can stand in its way. And right. again, it's like it's a big business. And this is this, you know, another window into how the world works. And do we feel yucky about participating in these systems? Yes, we do do we want to take that step completely of removing ourselves from it? A lot of people are going to stop short of that because why deny yourself something? Right. And, 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 I just want to make something perfectly clear. Like I know that part of the piece was pushing people to think about their own involvement, but I think too often the window is spun around and it's the little people and the people who are passively observing who become the bad guys in this Um, but that's not, that's not really the case. I mean, it just, we feel, I think that we all kind of deep down know that we're powerless to this. So even the people with the best intentions know that they're kind of shouting into the void and maybe that's cathartic, um, and they, they get something out of it, but just the whole thing, just, you know, it it just seems so bleak to that we can get to a point where the news comes down that Tua has feeling in all of his extremities. And that's a major win. Like how low is the bar that we're Yeah. what 14 million people are watching
0: this. And we're like, yes, he, he's he's not paralyzed. paralyzed."
1: Like we got to demand like just a little bit
0: better for, for all involved. Do we not? Uh, He was also laughing at McGruber on the flight home. So he was, he was in good shape, Kyle. Um, And I want to switch to Amazon here because Amazon, in addition to showing the replay, over and over again, they got crushed for not really addressing the crux of the Tua situation on its halftime show or during the broadcast. That the the factor is he you know did suffer that injury Sunday and there was doubt whether he should have even played Thursday. But to go back to the point about talking in circles, like you know we have this complaint all the time: NFL broadcasters not talking about domestic violence. I remember uh, I think it was Al Michaels who totally whitewashed the Sean Watson situation just a couple weeks before that. But the fact is, Amazon pays the NFL a billion dollars a year. You know, these are all business partners. Like, again, I, we can all wail into our Twitter feeds about, oh, how awful it is that these NFL broadcasters aren't highlighting the dangers of the sport and ripping the dolphins for not following protocol or what have you. But like, you know, they're a they're billion dollar business partners. Like, what do you expect? That's kind of the point that I'm at with this stuff, too.
1: Yeah, I think we need to set realistic expectations because in a perfect world, it would be great to get some context and some nuance and have a thought-provoking broadcast, but that's not why we tune in. That's not why everybody tunes in. And even someone like myself who would be open to having that discussion, I'm not so sure I want it during the game. I think it is weird that we move on. Uh, and the announcer in the stadium says it's third down like that's kind of bleak, but like Definitely. we all know our role to play in this and it's to briefly think about this human being who has suffered what could have been catastrophic and disastrous injury but then it's to move on because you know there's a game at play we have our bets we have our fantasy lineups uh, at the big lead we're looking for further content you know yeah. to, to pay our bills like I don't think that it's particularly fair to ask like Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet to be ready to go on the spot with like what this means and to turn it into a podcast. They basically kind of are like trying to move things along. Maybe the bigger complaint could have been with the halftime show, which didn't really dive into it. And I know that Amazon got crushed by that, crushed for that but they did come back in the post came and I think did a pretty good job in discussing what needed to be discussed, whether that's a reaction to the feedback they were getting on social media. It it doesn't really matter because it was the right editorial decision. I think that too often we're easy to crush and rip people who are on live TV for not having the exact right answers when all of us are sitting at home. Uh, You know, I did write a blog. I mean, I don't know if that was helpful, but you know what I mean? Like, it, we're not the ones who are in front of millions and millions of people trying to figure it out on the fly. And live broadcasting is so hard anyway. And you know that once they go down that road, I, I, the last thing I'll say on this, once they were to go down that road, you know that everybody in that production truck, everybody in the C-level suites are just going to be like, oh God, please don't say the wrong thing. Like it's going to be a white knuckle ride. So I, you understand why they err on the side of caution and not going too far down the road. Even if I think... What would be fair is to at least address the elephant in the room sure. s- sooner because there's more people watching the broadcast than are watching the post game.
0: I'd like to see Kirk Herbstreet fire up a blog and fire out a blog in the middle of Thursday Night Football. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I agree for the most part. Um, but I do wish, and I think I tweeted this when the uh, Sean Watson thing a couple weeks ago where Al Michaels just used all these euphemisms to describe you know, his situation, what was going on. I would almost just wish that they don't talk about that stuff at all. You know, if you're just going to completely whitewash it, not talk, you know, not mention at all, you know, the, the women, the se- then then don't even don't even mention it is kind of where I fall on that thing because they, they just get embarrassed time and time again. And it's an unnecessary look, because as you said, I don't need Al Michaels and Kirk Curb Street to tell me why Deshaun Watson is out. I know that. Like, why do it? I guess is where I fall now on that stuff.
1: Yeah, be- but I think that they would get crushed for totally ignoring. That's true. People. So it's, you, know, you know you're know you in a no-win situation. Uh, yeah. Oddly enough, there's been so many practice runs for this. Right. Sunday, you're going to deal with some player who has been involved in some sort of unfortunate, for lack of a better word, situation or complication off the field. Largely, that's code for something that they did and put themselves in right. situations for. But at the same time, I'm not really sure if it's really the place to – Relitigate something that is either in front of like the criminal justice system or is being dealt with dealt with for like nfl punishment because you get in the same situation with concussions like it's going to take some time to get to a nuanced conversation here and one thing you don't have a lot of in a live broadcast is time what with the 25 second play clock
0: <laughs> that's true <laughs> Yeah. And I don't think we necessarily need Tony Romo's thoughts, for example, on sexual assault, sexual misconduct. I I think we can have him stick to predicting plays. Um, So you're the editor-in-chief of the big lead, Kyle. I'm sure you've written a lot of stories and published a lot of stories over the years on Tom and Giselle and what's going on there. So uh, reportedly they've retained divorce attorneys. Uh, My question to you is, what part of any part of this story do you find the most interesting?
1: You know, we've been ignoring it, per se, because I think as I've gotten older, I, I'm, I, I can see the complications of, of being married and having kids and knowing how hard that it is. It does seem from the public figure perspective that he chose going back into football, right. knowing that it would potentially worsen things with his situation at home. And we should be really careful and not making assumptions that that that's true. But from all the reporting that does seem to be a major sticking point. And I think the most interesting part to me is that people are assessing whether it's worth it for Tom Brady, based on what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers record is, where I can assure you, I can assure you that doesn't matter to him right now. Like, I know he wants to win. I know that he is the most competitive person in the world, but I can assure you that football is very secondary to him right now. And I I actually kind of think that I want to get your opinion on this. I actually think that we've shown some progress in in how this story's been handled. Um, I know that tabloids are out there pretty quick with it, uh, but it seems like we've moved on to being like marital issues aren't as much our business. Right. As it was before, even in the blog game, maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. Maybe like like that is the secondary aspect too, where it's almost like I'm not telling the guys don't touch it, but it's almost just like we're we're most of us are married. uh, Most of us have kids. It's kind of just like, you know what? Like the guy's dealing with enough to not to not have um, cheap shots taken his way. So, you know, like I guess everybody can mature in a way, but it's it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. It's going to remain story and you know how the masses deal with the story even if you want to make a light joke about it that isn't mean-spirited that just goes on top of the people who are being like actually outwardly nasty about it
0: yeah so all these smart ass you know millennials are now you know older millennials with kids is what what you're saying all these uh and, and i think that is true and you're right the culture has changed a lot um, I mean, I think the, it's a much different story, but even like looking back at the way something like Manti Teo was covered, for example, uh, 10 years ago, wouldn't, wouldn't even be close now, the way the gay issue was thrown around in kind of an accusatory fashion even. Uh, yeah, we've changed a lot there. Um, but, you know, I think I guess my most interesting part of it and what I think, you know, is relevant to Brady today, Brady, the football player, Brady, the public person is he really loves football. I mean, he, as you said, probably went into the season knowing Giselle, you know, as far back as 2017 publicly was talking about the dangers of football, you know, Tom Brady concussions, her worry about that. Um, but the fact that he came back this season for age 45 with all that going on just shows that he's really a maniac, you know, on the field. Like, he really is. He's not kidding. It is football for him. This is this is his real outlet and i think from a psychological perspective to play armchair psychologist here that's that's really interesting
1: yeah because we hear about this okay and, and yeah. but we never really see it in practice and we don't really see the stakes that it has like if tom brady wanted to be maniacal about football we don't understand what that comes at a cost of now you see what it can come what can be lost by being maniacal about football and, and it's really interesting too because That's another fetish that um, goes into your football coverage, right? You have the head coach who works 22 hours a day and sleeps at his office. And it's just Well, Mike
0: McDaniel, I hate Mike McDaniel a few weeks ago said that he used to not shower for like five days because he was so busy. And it's like, that's something that you're going to brag about. Really? Sounds gross.
1: You can think about football in the shower. I've done it. Uh, (laughs) I'm not that smart. You know, I'm not that good at multitasking. I pulled it off, but you know, it's like we hear that they're singularly focused, um, but you don't really understand what that means. And so oftentimes it's like presented as like a feel good story. Uh, This is why they're a winner because they're so committed to it where we have enough evidence that people who weren't insane, about their training regimens, have won championships. Obviously, Tom Brady is, uh, but he's you know he's he's kind of a unicorn in so many ways. So I it's I don't know where we're going uh, in in that department, um, and I don't know how much there is to actually meet on that bone to talk about what it is. But I wonder if we're going to go in years in the future and look at some of these stories. I'm sure we're going to because you can see how many other issues have been covered and they don't age well. And a lot of people have things, you know, people grow um, and and they see the light on a lot of things and and improvements are made, but in the moment, we're really not good at understanding like the full picture of what we're actually reporting, what's a positive and what's a negative. Uh, Let me ask you quick and you can cut this part out too, is what's the reception to this story in Boston?
0: Uh, I think people are largely on Brady's side of things, you know, Giselle, what she, what she so upset about, you know, he's home half the year anyway. I think that's where a lot of people fall on it though. It is interesting that Brady has lost uh, a fair amount of clout around here, especially with his retiring unretiring. retiring. So maybe not as fervent a defense if he were still with the Patriots, but I still think the, uh, a lot of the sports crowd falls on Brady's side of things, but that's not surprising. Is it Kyle? No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, Kyle Coster. thanks for coming on, man. This was great.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. And we.